It's time for Tycoons of Small Biz, spotlighting the true backbone of the American economy, the true tycoons of business in America, the owners, founders, and CEOs of small businesses. The show's hosts, Austin Peterson and Landon Nance, are registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker-dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. The views expressed by your hosts, Austin and Landon, are not necessarily the views of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Backbone Planning Partners is a marketing name for registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Now let's lean in as Austin and Landon connect with this week's Tycoons. Good afternoon, Tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I'm your host here, as always, Austin Peterson. Coming to you from a remote location, I can't tell you exactly where, but Lehigh, Utah is as far as I'll go. I don't, uh, I don't need anybody showing up and busting down the doors, if you know what I mean. But uh, excited here, excited to have our guest on the show today, Kevin Black. Before we jump in and talk about Kevin and have Kevin kind of introduce himself, if this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, my co-host and partner, Landon Mance, and I host this podcast. We've been doing it for about a year and a half. We really enjoy doing it. And it's a business podcast. It's by small business for small business. Landon and I both are small business owners. We have parents and grandparents who are also small business owners, and it kind of runs in our blood. And we we truly believe that the backbone of the American economy is the small business owner. And so we put together this podcast to highlight those small business owners and give them a, a platform to kind of share their stories. So with that, we definitely have a tycoon of, of small biz on the on the podcast with us today. Kevin Black is the principal and founder of Black Market Leadership. Kevin, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Austin. I'm very, very excited. Yeah, Kevin, we're excited to have you here. We, you know, we we have kind of a pre-qualification uh, meeting with all of our guests. You know that you were there. Um, and we we love your story. Landon and I are big supporters of the military. And so just your military background is enough reason for us to have you on the show. But uh, regardless with, you know, in addition to that, I should say, uh, with what you're doing with black market leadership and the book coming out and so forth and so on, I think you're going to have uh, a great story to share with us today. So before we jump to the business side of black market leadership and what it is that you do there, why don't we start by having you tell us a little bit about you personally. So tell us where you grew up, tell us a little bit more about your background, the military side. Uh, are you married? Do you have any kids? You know, whatever you'd like us to know about you personally. So I am a, uh, I'm a veteran army officer who one day read Iron Ran and decided to do something productive with my life. And so after uh, four years of military school of VMI and six years of active duty, really 10 years in uniform, Austin, I came to the realization I just never liked taking orders from people. So I just said, no more. I'm not working for the man. And uh, I decided to take my knowledge and expertise of of leadership and strategy, things I learned from the Army. Uh, I left as a captain. And my last job was a war planner. So I took that knowledge and expertise, and I was able to convert it uh, for the private sector. And so I've been doing this since 2005, uh, being a, uh, gosh, I say, Leadership expert, executive coach, but most of all, a strategic advisor. And my and what I do is I help leaders and teams rapidly, rapidly improve their performance to help drive strategy from the ground up, especially during times of rapid growth. And uh, I think, as you and uh, uh, you and Landon know, I one of the things that I do is I use computer war gaming. So uh, that's uh, things that I took out of the army, things I did for fun. I was able to combine them. And uh, just if there's anything, anything biographical about me, you'll probably hear this, but I'm originally from Georgia 
So I still say y'all and dog, but most of all, I say because. Uh, my girlfriend of uh, of 11 years says uh, because, and I assure her it's because. People probably have a causes, not causes. So put a B <laughs> in front of it, and I'm, I'm good to go. I, I think what she's really wanting you to say is I, I'm ready to put a ring on it would be my guess is what she really cares about. I think after I think 11 I, years, I've seen some signals. <laughs> I've seen some signals somewhere. <laughs> oh, oh, well, and, and, I, I, and let me add one more thing. We have four dogs. We have three Australian cattle dogs and American dingoes. So I got to add that. That's our family. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And I, I won't get you into too much trouble. So I'll, I'll stop with the marriage talk because I'm, I'm guessing she'll listen to this later. So I'll let it lie at that point. So the military gaming th- side for me, I think is it's very interesting, right? I mean, the, the reality is today, I, I'm not a gamer. I, I've got a 21-year-old son who loves to play video games, and, and that's way very normal today for adult men, especially, to play, play video games. But regardless, I think all adult men, regardless of your age, kind of have this draw to the military and those types of games and the CIA and spies. And, you know, we've got all these movies that are out there. You know, I tell my wife all the time, you you just think that I own and operate a financial planning firm. I'm actually in the CIA and have been for years, right? And so when I'm traveling, I'm actually out there doing spy work and you just think I'm out there helping people with their financial futures. So, you know, it, it's something that I'm drawn to. And, and that's what I think is really cool about this is, it's a it's a cool way to get executives engaged in what they're trying to do for their company. So tell us more about that. Uh, I totally agree. And uh, yeah, a lot gaming is so so. I got to separate. I got to separate this for the audience. Gaming is extraordinarily extraordinarily popular. I mean, gosh, Call of Duty. I think is like I think it takes over a hundred million dollars to put all this operation together. It's incredible. So. What I do is I use a, a, a an old off-the-shelf game. Uh, it's called it's what we call real-time strategy. Now I'm I'm really I'm really going to emphasize this. Real-time strategy is a big picture kind of a computer game. It's almost like risk on steroids. Meaning you have to go out. Uh, you have to create a nation. You have to build an economy. You have to build a military. You have to do intelligence work. It is extraordinarily strategic. Big picture. What most games are today, they're very tactical. We call them first-person shooters. And, you know, you got the Xbox, and the guy's got there. He's got his shoulders. His, his back is concave. He's leaning into it. Those games are fun, but in, in terms of business, they're very dangerous because they put you naturally at the tactical level. They put you in the trenches. And for something that I do, work with executives, there's nothing worse than getting a, a senior executive in the trenches. They have to be able to learn to step out and let the other people do that work. So when I use a real-time strategy game, we bring executives in. And my, I think I told you our first big client was a small company called LifeLock. We brought the executives in, and my goal was to actually help educate them on how to strategize and how to lead under pressure. You might be a commander, and we'll have four or five people on your team. I put you away from the game. You cannot see the game. You can hear it, but you can't see it. I'll give you a mission. You have to bring your team in. And what happens is you only, you only have a couple of people playing it, but you have a staff. In essence, you're making a, like a big game of telephone, except you have to strategize. What's our econ- First of all, what is our mission? I might give you a mission to capture 70, 75% of the gold on the map. You'll find people who will, who will put 
a huge, huge amount of labor and making a plan to, we're going to put four armies here, this, this, and it's enormous. You'll find other people who will be like, you know what, we're just going to kill the enemy. We'll kill the enemy and we win. So you see people's risk tolerance. And the great thing about using this kind of, that kind of model, uh, of the war gaming, as I would say, is that people's natural strengths come out. They really see how they are in the boardroom. Believe it or not, what you do in the gaming comes out. So it's a way for you, uh, I call them Dr. Phil moments. It's, you know, it's like, hey, Austin, you know, you're crazy. What are you talking You know, you would say, what are you talking about? I was like, look, look at that video behind me. And people are like, oh my gosh, that's me. Because you really get to see it and experience it. So when you put people in this team dynamics and they work together under real time, you see how they communicate. You see how they plan. You see how they talk with one another. How they how they respond to when they lose control. All these things are so applicable to corporate America. And the great thing is, when you do the war gaming, you're doing a safe environment where uh, what stays in the like Vegas, what stays in the room, uh, what happens in the room stays in the room. But you can fail, you can learn from it, and it doesn't cost the organization millions of dollars. Yeah, I think I think it's a very unique and great way to to do things. And I, you know, you hit the nail on the head, and it's something that Landon and I see in our practice day in day out is that the leaders of the organization are drawn to and want to be in there tactically doing things rather than taking a step back and setting the strategy because they built it from the ground up. Typically they started, so they had to do everything from the get go. And then it's really hard to get them out. And so we, you know, we talked that you're talking about leadership and, and helping them grow to the next level, which, you know, we address with our clients as well. But for us, it's really saying that's the only way that you will grow to the next level, right? If you don't step out and view yourself as an investor in this business that's providing strategic leadership, rather than the person who's doing it every single day, day in and day out, your business is going to plateau at some point. And so you've, you've got to get them to that point where they're accepting of that and ready and willing to step back and let others do the day-to-day work. Uh, no, I totally agree. And in fact, I would say uh, this goes to the, the concept of trust. But for one, one of the things I get to do in my work prior to the gaming is I get to do behavioral profiling. Uh, we use uh, we use the best the best tool out there, and it tells me three things about you. It tells me who you are. It tells me how you're role playing or masquerading, meaning uh, the Austin I'm meeting right now may not be the real Austin. So it shows me who, who that person is, and also gives me a, a six to eight weeks snapshot your stress levels. So I know what's happening in your environment to stress you out. But going to the idea of trust, though, what you find is there are different behaviors uh, who have, you know, trust is a very general concept. It's actually more nuanced. There are certain behaviors like myself. I'm a take charge kind of person. Trust to me is if you can get the job done. And I, will, I want you to win. Guess what, Austin? I'll take casualties. I'll take casualties, but I want you to win. There are other people out there who would cringe at that. There are some people who we call high conformists. They're about quality. This is your, your typical CFO or your CT, your, your chief and uh, C, CIO or CTO, people who are about quality and accuracy and detail. To them, trust is about ensuring quality. We're not looking for a 70, 70% solution. We're not looking for a 95% solution. We're looking for a 99%. And then there are other people also who are about uh, the trust you if you make good relationships that you make work fun, that you're not there becoming toxic. And of course, and finally, other people who trust you 
if you plan, if you do things right the first time, if you if you work with those people, those are the things they're looking for. They probably don't articulate it that way, but once you do a profile, people understand who they are, then all their decision making and even their relationships, it makes so much sense. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And and you know, there there's not one good type of leader, I guess, is is the best way to put that, right? There are great leaders that have all of those different character traits that you just mentioned. It's just understanding what it is, who you are as a leader, and who the people you're leading are as people who work for you so that you can get the best out of them, and you're giving them your best as your version of a leader. Uh, I totally agree. You know, uh, I get people ask me all the time, what's the secret to being a great leader? I'm like, it's knowing yourself and knowing your team. There is no secret formula. There's no secret. There's no behavioral type, which makes a great leader. The fact is, first of all, you got to want to be a leader. Uh, you have to be willing to take the responsibility, but you got to know yourself. Uh, you have to know what your natural inclinations are. You have to know those of your team because just because I'm fast paced and I'm loud and obnoxious does not mean my team is. It doesn't mean that they want to go to that fast pace. That that you know, for me, a seventy percent solution is fine. We'll make it up as we go. You got to know your team. Other people will cringe. They'll pull their hair out. So you got to know yourself, the team. And finally, you have to know the conditions of your mission. What are you doing? If you're in a startup company, you know, market share, grab it, you know, land grab, that, that's probably the priority. And if that's the priority, speed, speed over accuracy is usually uh, uh, desired. But if you're in a very mature company and you're competing on cost, I say being slow, you might say being methodical and deliberate. <laughs> you see what I mean? That even the language matters. You, you got to know the, the nature of the mission yourself and your team. If you know those things, you are very, very well placed to, to li- really be a success, I think. Yeah, it's, it's funny that you, you used the word deliberate and said that I may use that word. I, I actually used that very word with some clients yesterday, and it was a husband and wife. The husband is, they're both doctors, but the husband owns his own practice with two partners, and they recently sold a portion of the practice. And the wife's concerned saying, okay, we got this portion of money today, but if it doesn't grow to what it's supposed to, if we make some decisions today, what's that going to look like? You know, and, and I said, we, we will, we will be very deliberate. I might've even said deliberate and methodical with the way that we make these decisions, because we're going to kind of play this wait and see. We believe that the practice is going to grow to this, but we're not making decisions as though it is growing to that. We're going to make decisions year over year over year as we see more evidence that it's growing to that rather than making decisions that potentially put you guys in a tough spot, you know, later. Yeah, that's a very deliberate, uh, you know, one, one of the things I get to do in my work is uh, I love doing is I get to connect leadership to strategy. And uh, this is one thing that's really overlooked today. You know, when you think of leadership in, in, in corporate America, I think some people think of HR or, you know, some kind of leadership training, but that's totally different from corporate headquarters making strategy. But the fact is they're completely connected. And in strategy, uh, I just find this fascinating. And this actually goes to what you're saying. There are really two, there's really two fundamental mental models. There's what we call the deliberate and the emergent. And, And it's based on one question. Can you anticipate the future? If you say, yes, I can anticipate the future, then you fall into what we call a deliberate strategy. That means we're going to make a strategy five years from now, five years out, we're going to hit objective A, B, C, D. It's everything's going to flow because we know what's going to happen. We've, we've had this linear path, almost like we're going down the road. And what happens is 
when you have that kind of mindset, you don't need leaders, you need managers, people to oversee process, to oversee, to make sure we have compliance to the very details. But I think it was McKinsey who came out with a report a couple of years ago that said 90% of strategies today fail or fail to actualize. Why? Because things change. And oftentimes you cannot anticipate the future. So that leads to what we call an emergent strategy. Instead of having that one linear lane, A through B to C, D, and E, you have instead a highway and you have to be able to shift lanes. Now, if you're talking to someone, like you said earlier, who likes that deliberate methodical approach, they'll probably like, that sounds like they're making it up on the, on the go. I'm not paying you for that. We need a long term. And you get to realize that sometimes, especially with that emergent strategy, the value of leaders is being able to have situational decision-making. Since we can't anticipate the future, we know we're going to go on this general area, this general path, but we need someone like you to make the, the call. Do we go to A, B, and C, or do we skip B and go to C and D? What makes sense given the conditions? And that's the real value of leadership in terms of, uh, I say the ROI of leadership is improvisation. But there are certain behaviors out there they would say, hell no, I won't accept that. I want to know where we're going from now to five years from now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think people's mindsets are, you know, some are in one camp and some are in the other camp and, and it's not that either one is right or wrong, but I think that what, if, if anything, over the last two years, what we've learned is that you don't know with certainty what the future holds, right? Because you asked me three years ago, I would have never told you that we were going to have a worldwide pandemic and what that was going to do to business around the country and the stock market and you know the economy and supply chain, all those sorts of things. I, I wouldn't have been able to tell you that. And we've seen it, unfortunately, in our country that the businesses who were so rigid and unwilling and or unable to change lanes, like you said, it have really struggled through this. And the, those that were willing and able to change lanes, some of them have have not just survived, but they've thrived in this op in this particular economy and what's going on with this quote unquote chaos. I totally agree. Uh, you know, the game is to those who can adapt. And, you know, the challenge is you have to find people, I think, that are, um, I call intellectually honest. Uh, they have to know what they're really good at and what they're not good at. And if they're not good at something, it's, you know, it's like a division of labor. Uh, you know, I'm not a chef. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I order my, my meals out because I don't have the time or I don't have the expertise. Uh, I am great. I am very good at execution. I am good at new ideas. I am not good at planning and you wouldn't want me to plan for you. So why would I take that on my shoulders to do it? So as an executive, I think you got to really know, again, what your real strengths are and your team. Your team has, your team is, is, are a bunch of people who have talents, they're assets. Maybe you have someone on that team to help help you do that. And again, when you find a bunch of people who are experts, it's hard to take them out of the expertise so they could be managers of other experts. But uh, it takes people who are intellectually honest and who are willing to say, you know what, maybe I don't know what, maybe maybe it's just not worth my time. Here's my general guidance. This is what we should, should be doing. Who's the right person to do this? Let them do it. And then, uh, and then you can adapt. It, it's, it's those easy steps. In my experience, if you do those easy steps, you know, the game is yours. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I want to say it was Ronald Reagan. I could be completely off on this, but I want to say it was Ronald Reagan that said, hire smart people and let them tell you what to do rather than hire smart people and tell them what to do, right? And so I could be off on it being Ronald Reagan, but I feel like it definitely fits with what he would have done as a leader for sure. 
if I remember right, I think Henry Ford had on his was on his tombstone. He, I think it said, "He who surround himself but with smarter people." I think this actually on his tombstone. You got to do it. And and again, this this takes what I call, I call it adaptability. Sometimes I call it maturity. Uh, you really have to realize that you have people around you. It is in your rational self interest to use the people around you. They have talents. Let them actualize that. Let them get success at it. You don't have to keep all, all these things on your shoulders. You can let them do it. And by the way, if, if, everyone's a, if everyone's a success, you'll be a success. But if the team fails because you didn't utilize your resources, guess where the blame goes? Yep. Yeah, exactly. I just, I just started re-listening on Audible to Good to Great. You know, they talk about that where there are certain leaders who, when everything goes good, they want to take all of the credit for it going well. And when everything goes bad, they want to shift the blame to the people who work for them or the market conditions or, you know, whatever it is. And the, in that book, they call them level five leaders. The level five leaders, when it's good, they're giving all of the glory to their team and, and luck. And when it's bad, they're taking responsibility for all of it. And I tell you, it, it benefits them. It really does. I mean, you know, it's almost counterintuitive, but there's a there's a rational self interest in, in, in spreading, giving out that that uh, that glory to your team. Uh, the, you know, I think it's an old Greek saying. It's uh, victories. Victory has a hundred fathers. Defeat has is an orphan. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no one wants to take it, but pass up the victory. Yeah, you do that. You get people engaged. They want to be with you. And I would tell you, uh, I said earlier that you know the return on investment, and at least my perspective, is improvisation. If you want people to take risks, to go above and beyond just their, their normal duties, to adjust to the environment, to all these new opportunities and obstacles, you need them engaged. You need them to trust you. And how do you do that? When the glory comes, pass that stuff out. I mean, God, even Napoleon said, uh, you know, if he had a if he had a million medals, he'd give them all out. You always want to make sure that you're you're you that your people are happy, that they want to be there because if they're there and and doing the things that need to be done without you directing them, you're going to be a success in the end. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. It's it actually reminds me of something that these same clients last night the the husband said, and you know they've they've made this partial sale and so he received some cash from that sale and he wants to do something nice for some members of the team that have been with them for 20 years as they've built this medical practice right and it's a it's a small token in in the grand scheme of things but it matters to him right they don't have any ownership in it they don't they didn't receive any cash from this but he wants to give them a cash bonus for sticking with them for the past 20 years. And then what do we do over the next five to seven years while we build out the rest of this, of this strategy. So it, it, it is, it's, a, it's an important part of being a leader, I think is being willing and able to recognize what others do for you and, and reward them for it. So I have a question for you. I, I have a question for you, Austin. And uh, because when you're somebody popped in my head, there's an old saying, and I have, and I tell you, the past five years, I really learned what it means. What's it? It is uh, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. I, I'd be very curious in your experience. What does that mean to you? Or are we? Did you learn it the hard way? I because you can probably tell where I'm coming from. I've had a lot of people who I've wanted to support, and I and I've given them the tools and methodologies. Just do that. A A to B, A to B. It, it'll totally work. And it's, you know, I get the, I get the deer in the headlight stare, you know, they nod. Yeah. And nothing happens. 
Yeah, it's, I mean, I think I've, I've struggled with that over the years. I've been a little bit um, surprised by that in my career. It, it's, it's shocked me because I'm not built the way that so many other people are built, right? And, and so I think back to, gosh, it would have been probably 15 years ago or so. Uh, I was doing exactly what I do today, financial planning. But at the time, I was receiving so many requests for advice about their mortgages. Should I refinance? Should I buy a new property? Should I buy this land? But, you know, all those sorts of things. And so at the time, I set up a mortgage division of our financial planning company. And we had at the, at the peak, we had, I think, 15 loan officers who were doing all of these loans. So it wasn't just our financial planning clients, but we started to go out and market to other, you know, other people to try to, to drum up business. And it just shocked me that you've got these loan officers who are working on a commission only basis. And I had to push them to make phone calls, to get out there, to do things, to close loans. And I'm thinking the fact that you don't eat or that you don't get paid anything without doing those things in my mind should have been enough of a motivation, right? I led them to the water. I provided them the leads and they weren't doing what they needed to do to, to go out and actually close the deals and make some money. So I think that's probably the, the biggest story in my career to where I learned, you know what, everybody's not built the same way. And some people aren't cut out to be a commission only loan officer in that particular instance. Uh, they still have value, but you know, ultimately what I ended up doing is letting them all go and hired three assistants and had them handle the the basic stuff. And then I closed the the loans with the clients. You know, that that kind of um that really reminds me of, of roles to behaviors. Uh I mentioned earlier about, you know, doing behavioral profiling and, you, you know, people have a natural, we call your natural self. That That's something that's really been molded by the time you're six to eight years old. It be really who you are now is it's who you've always been. It's just now a question of experience. You know, uh, I'm, I've always been loud like this, but, you know, you probably tell in the army, I had to tamp that down. And I learned how to, doesn't mean I don't want to. And one thing that I have learned is, especially if you're going to be successful, even in terms of strategy, you got your strategic goals fine, but who's doing it, who's leading it and why? And if you don't clearly define what's needed and then match that to the right behavior, uh, you could find people who have the appearance that they'd be perfect for the job. But, you know, it's almost like asking someone to take their dominant hand with a pen in it and then put it in their non-dominant hand to start writing. It's so awkward. It's so weird that even though in front of their face, you, 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 should be, you could be making money right here. They just don't do it because it's so uncomfortable. Now, I know behaviors are an element of that. I'm sure there's psychology in it too. I just mentioned that because behavior is the one thing we always see. Psychology is really, really hard. And it's a dangerous territory to get into. But uh, it's just shocking that you really have to know who you're working with because even though people come off one way, if you know who they really are, it'll make a difference in, in uh, your expectations, I think. Yeah, I, I, there's definitely truth to that. I've seen it. It's something that I've gotten better at over the years, but certainly continue to work on and, and try to be better. I think my biggest weakness is I expect too much out of people sometimes, and I think that they're going to do it the way that I would do it rather than there's another way that can that it can be done and it'll still be just as efficient and effective. It's just, I need to let them do it, you know, their way, so to speak. 
Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. I yeah. think we all go through that. Yeah. So I want to get into the the book and, and chaos a little bit, but before we do that, let's take a quick break and we'll, we'll have a call to action for our listeners. And then we'll, we'll come back and talk about chaos in your, in your book coming out. Hey there, Tycoons. Austin Peterson here, co-host of Tycoons of Small Biz. If you think you have what it takes to be considered a tycoon and you're wondering how you could become a featured guest, please follow and then message us at Tycoons of Small Biz on LinkedIn. We'd love to have a conversation with you to see if it is a mutually good fit. And if so, we'll get you scheduled for an interview. If you're unsure about being a guest on our podcast, but are contemplating selling your business over the next few years and you'd like to know what your business is worth, Please also follow us and then message us on LinkedIn for your no obligation, informal valuation of your business. We look forward to hearing from you and thanks for listening to the Tycoons of Small Biz podcast. And now back to today's program. All right, welcome back Tycoons. We're here on today's episode with Kevin Black with Black Market Leadership. And we've covered a lot of ground already, Kevin, but I, I wanna talk about your book and specifically the topic of chaos. So. I think anybody who owns a business and has built a business specifically in the startup phase, but I don't know that it really ever goes away is it really is chaos. A lot of times you're, you're really trying to, you almost feel like you're hurting cats sometimes to, to make this business, you know, grow and, and be what you want it to be. So tell us about the book. Tell us why you chose to write about chaos. And, and uh, I think you've got a lot of stories to tell or different, uh, things to let us know about what it's like, uh, you know, publishing a book and, and so forth. So take it away. Well, uh, well, so yeah, so right now the title, the working title uh, is uh, Strength Through Chaos. I have an agent and an editor and I am, I am at the point now, uh, I have 15 chapters, 62,000 words. If you'd asked me last week, I'm like, Austin, 95% there, my friend, 95 and then two days later, like 90% there, Austin, 90%. I had to add a whole new chapter because I realized a huge hole <laughs> in my in my thesis. So I, I gotta tell you, just first of all, writing a book, it is first of all, it for me, I have a hard time sitting down and, and concentrating. You know, writing a book takes precision. I'm a I'm a shotgun kind of guy. I like to blast ideas and throw them on the wall. It takes a lot of precision. So um it's been a lot. It's been the hardest thing I've ever done, without a doubt. But it's also been the most rewarding because I'm to the point now where I sleep at night. I dream about my book. I, when I wake up, the first thing I think of is the book. When I go to the office and I listen to podcasts, all these ideas like, oh, oh, oh. So as of right now, I am, uh, I am near the final phase of editing. And what I have to do then is send the manuscript to my editor. And the rule is you got to make sure your manuscript is this is what you think is A plus. Send to your editor. And so then my editor slash agent is going to do her job with her team. And then simultaneously, I have to write a book proposal. That's a 30 to 40 page business plan for your book, how these publishers will make money from it. And by the way, some of these major publishers for your audience here, if you're ever interested in getting published, uh, the minimum, you, have, you need a minimum of 10,000 followers on LinkedIn. They won't even look at you without 10,000. And then you need some other social media. Again, they want to know that your face is out there, that people know who you are. It's been a lot of fun. It's been hectic, but I got to get this thing out. But I, I'm very, very happy. At it. So why chaos? My behavioral bias. You could probably tell just the way I am. I like chaos, or at least I've lived in it. A lot. I'm very comfortable in chaos. What, the one thing that really drove me to writing this is, uh, 
whether I was a junior officer in the army, being a rifle platoon leader, having 40 soldiers underneath me, to being a consultant, you know, I've worked with big companies, uh, Medtronic, uh, McKesson. If there's one thing that really stuck out to me, really the the catalyst was that leaders today, most leaders, most leaders I have met are not prepared for chaos at all. In fact, you're trained in a sense, just we're going to think this way, we're going to communicate, here's the template, do it. But but you ever go to a, a training session, Austin, that says, hey, your plan's going to go to hell in the handbasket in the first five minutes you start. What are you going to do? <laughs> so I, that's my goal is to, is to provide a guidebook, not a philosophical book, but a guidebook about how to, one, think about chaos, to realize that chaos is natural, it is absolutely normal, and we all really straddle the line of chaos uh, every day, especially if we're growing in our companies. So one is understand chaos. Two, understand why people act the way they do around chaos. For me, for my behavior type, when chaos comes, I seek dictatorial control. Get out of my way. I will do it myself. I don't care what you think. I'll do it. Some people will shut down. They won't talk, especially when you need their voice. Uh, some people will go back to the drawing table. We're going to replan, replan everything. So what I'm doing is I'm hitting these general trends of, of how people act under chaos. So that that's a second element, second part, why people act the way they do. But the third part really is the guidebook is how to, what are the major things that you can do to not only minimize chaos, but even capitalize on it. So I, I really give about, as of now, 30,000 words, a checklist, guides, of how to think, how to uh, think critically, think in the essentials, how to break down, um, analyze your mission, how to communicate vertically and horizontally, how to communicate that directly attaches to your strategy. But even even when you communicate, how do you plan? How can you plan for contingencies? And I I take a real formal planning process I learned in the Army. And then finally, how do you focus? You know, when chaos comes, there, there are a lot of distractions, things that are just begging you are just enticing you. Come, Peter, come, Austin, come this way. Don't worry about what you're doing. Come this way. How do you, not only do, how do you stay focused, but how do you keep the team focused? So that really, in, in a nutshell, is what Strength Through Chaos is. It's about knowing what chaos is, knowing why people respond to it the way they do, and what you can do to actually master that sucker. Yeah. I mean, obviously in the military, you know, you think about being in a firefight or, you know, different things like that. And that's, that's truly chaos. And you've got to stay, you know, grounded and, and focused on, on what the mission is and what those contingency plans are that you set in place ahead of time. But then you still have to also be flexible to deviate from those, right? I would totally agree. The only thing, though, the one thing, because well, being a veteran, there are a lot of books out there called about VUCA. Um, you know, that's uh, volatil- volatility, uncer- uh, uh, uncertainty, I think it's complexity. Business is not the military. That's one thing that it's kind of like a canard that a lot of veterans like to say, you know, it's like battle. No, it's actually not battle. It's actually much more boring, much more boring. I mean, you ask any any combat veteran, most battles, you know, it, it's it's 23 and a half hours of boredom. And it's, it's five minutes of actual intensity that changes your life. So I think in business, it's much more difficult uh, because, first of all, you have to create the systems, the feedback loops. You got your strategy. You're moving forward. You know, how do you know it is moving forward effectively? How do you know your people are engaging? Because remember, 
when uncertainty comes, and it always comes, you got the fog of war, which is the gap between reality and expectations. We have friction, the accumulation of unwanted events. You know, you hire Joey over there. He's your star marketer. He just quit. He's going to your competitor now. Hey, that mission's still going, Austin. You got, you got to keep going. What do you do? And th- those are things that I really, really try to focus on. And in fact, uh, I have identified as of now 13 what I call control factors, 13 real basic metrics that if you do them, you are going to minimize or reduce the effects of chaos. But a lot of companies don't. And what you find is that chaos is not just disorder. It is a pattern, a cumulative pattern of, of uh, these control factors. Uh, whether it's communication, whether it's planning, whether it's feedback loops, uh, clarity of purpose. If you don't hit these, uh, if you really don't hit these control factors, I have seen even objectively a, a what I call a cascading effect. A, it's, a, it's like skiing downhill. It gets the, the, that snowball behind you gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And what happens is the longer you stay in those uh, degrees of chaos, the harder the choices are you're going to have to make in the end, the more drastic they are. And ultimately, you hit the bottom, you know, not only are you, are you seen as incompetent and your reputation's ruined, people are leaving, they're going on glass door, just trashing you, your brand is destroyed. So the question is, I want to provide that kind of objective criteria and say to for companies to say, I know people over here, Austin says we're in total chaos, Sarah says this is nothing, where actually are we? Can we objectively measure it? And to give you an indicator, if you hit these three or four, there's probably a big snowball of not fun heading your way. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, that's, that can be one of the key reasons to have some outside consultants that are involved with your company from time to time in different areas, right? Cause they can, they come in and they see it differently than anybody else does. Everybody internally sees it through their own lens and your lens is different than my lens would be. And whoever it is, every member of the team sees things a little bit differently in their the way that they view the world, but then also what their tasks are can also dictate the way that they see how the organization is doing overall. So that outside perspective can be can be a key factor for sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I would add one thing that you need a strong uh, chief executive officer. You need someone who's going to put people's feet to the fire. Uh, just bring, you know, bringing in the, the people with the information and recommendations is one thing. But having someone to act on act on them on the, is really another. And I got to tell you, this idea of uh, you know people having different perspectives, and you can see even silos. Uh, you know, I know we all experience it in, in small businesses, but let me tell you, if you look at history, uh, gosh, the first Gulf War. I, I just read a book about. It's called Margin of Victory by uh, Douglas McGregor. Is is actually my last guest on Black Market Leadership. And this guy was, uh, if you ever watch Tucker Carlson, he's on there like every week. And he wrote his book, Margin of Victory, talk about the, the first Gulf War, or Iraq Part One, as I called it. And we had the greatest military, the best soldiers, uh, supposedly the best generals. And you have the Navy, the Air Force, and Army, and I'm coordinating, working with one another. It's almost like marketing and sales doing their own thing. Uh, that's just ingrained in them. They're almost like mini institutions. So you really have to have a strong leader come in. And I, I don't mean just, you know, in terms of charisma, but someone who's willing to make the hard decisions. Uh, if, if they have to cut payroll, if they have to cut, they got to cut. But the job is to survive as an organization. 
And the longer you stay in the and and those factors of chaos, the harder those decisions will become, and the greater the need for a stronger uh, leader. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I think that's that's really the difference between. You know, we talked about this earlier, right? There's all these different styles of leadership, and so there's there's plenty of leaders in every category of personality and all those sorts of things. Anybody can do it, but I believe you said they've got to be willing to be a leader, and being willing to be that leader means that they're willing to make those tough decisions and to live with the consequences. That's exactly right. And I, you know, it's funny. I, I... There's so many people there talking about being a servant leader. Well, guess what? If you're a chief executive, you're, you know, you have a fight, uh, fiduciary responsibility. You are there to make sure that that ship named after your company does not sink. And yeah. uh, you treat your people the best you can because you need to replicate success in the end. But you have a responsibility for that organization to the shareholders, to the people who have invested their life. Yeah, you know, you're there. You have to win. And that's why, uh, you know, I did an interview about military history a couple of weeks ago where, and someone's asking about the civil war. And I said, if you look at the civil war, the American civil war, our best generals were killers. They were killers. And you couldn't say that today. Like, you know, our generals, we, we neutralized the air, the enemy, but those yeah. guys back then with this, you know, they would beat the hell out of the enemy and kill them. And why am I saying this? Because they recognize the nature of their profession. They're there to win wars. If you're a chief executive, you were there to uh, to ensure that your shareholders, people who again invested their life, uh, their life savings, their money into your organization, who's giving that trust, they get their return on investment that they're owed, that they're due. Uh, you have responsibility to do that, and if you're not doing that, you're not doing your your uh, return on investment. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. So you mentioned the podcast that you've that you've got going, Black Market Leadership, and you know your most recent guest. So. Tell us a little bit about the podcast. What's the audience like? And, and, you know, how does it relate to what you do as a company? So black market leadership. Uh, first of all, I, I, I got to tell you that I could not believe I, I got the name trademarked. Even my, my attorney couldn't. She's like, you got this trademark. She, she couldn't believe it. Leadership is such a ubiquitous. It's, it's so broad. But I got a black market leadership. And uh, the reason I even came up with a name, well, obviously, my name, Kevin Blacks, I needed something like, I was like, black book sounds too, didn't sound very good. Didn't sound very appetizing. <laughs> it's a black market leadership. But um, I wanted I wanted this name because truly I am I, I like disruptors. I've always been about disruption. And guess what disruption causes chaos? So that kind of goes back to me. It's my bias. But I've always been interested in people who stood up and on their own or with help or whatever, but who stood against the grain. So uh, I created the podcast a year and a half ago, and I have had uh I can't tell you, I, it's been so exciting. I have had uh, uh, Douglas McGregor, again, who's always on Tucker, I had Carol Roth. She published a book. Uh, she's a New York Times bestselling author, published, it's The War on Small Business. It is a great book. It's not about how the government misused our money during COVID. It's about the government, the, the larger federal government is destroying purposely small businesses. She, by the way, is always on, she is a regular on Fox Business. Had Michael Scheuer. This is a guy who was the CIA's anonymous. He wrote a book uh, in 2004, which I read, which is about the war on terror. Uh, in fact, his writing was so good that even Osama bin Laden recommended to the world that we read his book about the war on terror of how we're not fighting it correctly. So I've been very, uh, I've been very fortunate. Uh, people like the idea of disruption. I wanted to go against the grain. I, I'm tired of. Uh, 
I just, after 25 years in this industry, I just haven't been, it's too much fluff. I was like, is there any grown up stuff for leadership? Is there, is there anything that, you know, uh, executives or people who are founders who want to do something exciting, is there anything that they like to listen to? And so I, I've actually found a really cool audience. And my next guest, which I have, uh, well, I can't say yet, but pretty big, pretty big. So it's, it's exciting. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, we'll look forward to uh, to checking it out and, and following that as well as, uh, you know, the rest of your career and getting ready to uh, get the book published. So we'll, I'm looking forward to to reading it myself and and seeing what I can glean from that, because we we've been at this for 20. I've been at it for 20 years. Landon's been at it for about 12 or 13. And so it, our business is pretty established, but there's definitely still chaos. We have conversations about, you know, we're a pretty small team. What what would happen if we if we lost our practice manager, for example, who by the way is a, a West Point grad, right? So I mean how how lucky are we to have a West Point grad who manages our practice day to day and keeps land <laughs> keeps landing and I's ideas that are, you know, all over the place, uh, very well organized and, and on track. So we're lucky to have, you know, both of our staff members. But uh it just but the fact that you've got the the military tie-in and she's a West Point grad. I mean, she probably should be president of our country right now, not the practice manager of Backbone Planning Partners. So it's uh, it's exciting. So tell us a little bit about you know the the business itself. I mean, what does your ideal customer look like? Who is it that you're that you're trying to help at this point? I mean, you've mentioned LifeLock, which you know was smaller when you worked with them, but now they're a very large company. You've mentioned Medtronic and McKesson; those are large organizations. But what does your ideal customer look like? Who who is it that Kevin's looking to work with on a day to day basis? Well, I actually have again. Thank you for the question. Uh, I, yeah. I appreciate. It. Thank you for the interest too. I, I trust me. I can't wait to get this book out of my head and on paper. Good lord, <laughs> get, get, get it out of here and get it published. Because of COVID. I learned to adjust. So I actually have two customers now. Uh, right now, I, I'm, I'm a strategic advisor. So I do the gaming uh, as, a, as, as an executive workshop to align your executive leadership team. I work with rapid growth companies. Those are the companies I really enjoy working with because guess what? Lots of chaos. And I'm like, hey, I got tool bag, guys. I got tool bag. We can do this. So I put them through the workshop and... Uh, um, do the behavioral profiling, and then we take that template from the gaming and actually apply it to their actual corporate strategy. And it's a, it's a lot of not just fun, but it's extraordinarily helpful because when you put everyone on the same, you put everyone in the same simulation, you're seeing and hearing the same thing. You have a central reference point. Uh, and I got to tell you, that's a really, really big issue. In the military, no matter where you come from, you go through basic training, right? You have the same experiences especially as an officer, you get the same kind of training. Literally, you and I could be X and Y, completely different people, but we learn to speak the same language. We learn to think the same way. And I don't mean necessarily uniformly, but if you say attack, I know what that means versus a defense or an assault. We, we even know, like, if you're, if you're in that kind of position, this is what you're going to do. So when you take that kind of common education, it's much easier to work with one another. That is not true of corporate America because you bring people in with completely, completely different backgrounds. So when you have the war gaming, when I bring, when I work with these executives, it allows people to speak the same language, to actually visualize what it looks like to drive forward and not be distracted, to hit those strategic milestones and ha- how to map it out. So 
one uh, one bucket of my clients are rapid growth companies. I've worked with the company now that was seven years ago, 20 million in valuation. Now our revenue, now they're 120. So they're, they're really growing. But the other thing I do is I have blackmarketleadership.com. And during COVID, I was like, hey, everyone's doing stuff online. I really can't do the workshops online. So how about I make videos, I make some training videos and educational tools, and I, and I have a subscription-based resource. So that's what I do. Right? As of now, we have 50 hours of material, of downloadable material, and I have uh, uh, new certifications coming out. It's a lot of fun. And the one cool thing about working with black market leadership, my, my client are really emerging leaders, managers, basically, hey, you want to be an executive? Do this now. Do this now and, uh, and uh, get your education that, you're probably, that hopefully you'll get in 20 years from, uh, from now. But one of the cool things I get to do is I get to analyze Netflix movies and series. I call it, um, tailored coaching. And instead of reading a, a business book, we actually go through and analyze these movies. And I tell you, besides the gaming, I have had, never had such a higher engagement score. People love watching these series and pl- picking apart, dissecting characters like, oh, my God, that's John. I work with that dude. I know, I know exactly what that is. And by doing that, you get the emotion, you get the feeling, and, and it really teaches you, I can take this material, it's totally applicable, and I can take it to work and actually have fun doing it. So that's, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think back to when I went to business school and I got my MBA, and I, I went through an executive MBA program. So I was owning and operating my business at the same time and, and was able to kind of implement some things that I would learn the night before the very next day, or, you know, I do the same thing with my Vistage groups now. And so I'll go and meet, you know, in Vistage and then implement something the very next day. But most people don't have that luxury in business school. And so, you know, you go for a couple of years and then you've got the degree, but then trying to implement it later doesn't work as well. So these types of things that you're talking about, whether it's watching a Netflix series or a movie or whatever to learn certain things and then implement them the next day, not to disparage our uh, educational system, but I think that it's a better way to learn and implement in business than than going and getting an MBA personally. Oh no! Please disparage it. Please go ahead. I'll, I'll disparage it. I remember my I did the MBA and uh, I uh, I did a course on entrepreneurship and I I remember telling the professors like, hey, and the, this professor is this with this with this gentleman who. Had been previously a success, I think, and I had said to him, "Like, hey, we should be watching Shark Tank." And, he, and you can, he, he, I felt like I think I offended him. He's like, "Why?" I'm like, "Look, these are pitches. Look how they're doing it, and people can see the response." You go up there with an idiotic idea, they're gonna laugh at you. You know, they don't tell you an MBA course, <laughs> so yeah, well, I'll watch it. And I, I gotta tell you, the one thing about doing tailored coaching is it's been so much fun because one is. There are movies out there which are, you know, they're categorized as leadership movies. Like I watched uh, Miracle with uh, Kurt Russell. Fun movie, really bad script. And it's just, it's about one dude. You don't get to see a team member. So I'm like, ah, you know, I was yelling, you know, 1980s, uh, we were beating the, the dirty commies. But it had really little value. But you're going to laugh. Probably the greatest show that I have seen that I did a 20-hour dissection of it with a partner of mine was the People versus O.J. Simpson, the series on Netflix. 
It's called American Crime Story, People versus OJ. You want to see lessons and behaviors and strategy and team dynamics. The prosecution, which takes that deliberate strategy that you and I talked about, you got the, the dream team, the defense, who are all, these are all the type A guys. And the assumption is they're going to eat each other up. Oh, no. They have inner chaos. They argue, but boy, they come to an agreement and they, they're flexible, they're agile. They make mincemeat of the prosecution. And to just watch these personalities go back and forth, you see this every day. And yep. uh, yeah, it, it's it, and it's fun. It's engaging. It's not reading a business book. You know what I mean? Yep, absolutely. I think anybody in America could say, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit, right? Oh, oh, and you, you got to watch the scene how he came up with it. It's it's <laughs> beautiful. And okay, so I got just got to add this add this in. Going back to behaviors, when you watch the prosecution on Marsha Clark. She is focused on the facts, the facts, of the case, because to her, the facts will sell. But I had a friend of mine, a friend once tell me, uh, facts tell, stories sell. So when you watch Johnny Cochran come up with this, he's talking to regular people. And he's talking as if he's in church. And you realize the impact. I mean, you know, if you're talking to a bunch of engineers, maybe those facts, the way Marshall was doing it would have been good. But he's talking to his jury, a regular Joe out there. And he hits it. He hits the nail on the head. Great example. Great example of making the right message to the right audience. And you see the ramifications, what happens. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, I think we could talk about that forever or just, you know, really the approach that you guys take. So I, I really appreciate the conversation. I appreciate what you brought to the table today, your, your enthusiasm, the energy that you brought, which obviously makes it much easier as a podcast host. So I appreciate that. So I'm going to leave it with you to say, just reiterate where it is people can find you if, if they're uh, in the market for what it is that you do. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, please, LinkedIn, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. So Kevin Black, 1999, you'll see I got the, uh, you'll know, you'll notice my photos. It's a, anyway, red background. Uh, I'm sure you'll find it on the bio here. I have two websites. If you're interested in learning more about uh, potentially aligning your team and getting ready to be disruptive or to overcome chaos, check out my website, kevinblack.co. That's .co, not com. That's the country singer, kevinblack.co. And then there's, of course, blackmarketleadership.com. Check it out. Uh, I mean, for it's for a subscription-based company or business, you get a lot of uh, a lot of free, a lot of material. I usually interact two hours a month. We have events. Uh, it's a lot of fun, and frankly, uh. I'll say this, if you're below the age of 42, you should be doing black market leadership because I, you, we can help you accelerate your learning a lot faster than uh, what a lot of companies are doing, probably a lot faster than some business schools. As a business school grad myself, I can tell you that's a fact. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I will second that. And, and I think you don't, you know, it doesn't take a genius to look at me and realize that I'm over age 42. So maybe I can still squeak in at that blackmarketleadership.com subscription. Kevin, we really appreciated having you on the show today. We've appreciated the conversation, as I mentioned, and look forward to following your, uh, your career as time goes forward. Hey, Austin, thank you so much. You, this is such a great show. I, I really appreciate uh, the invite and having me on. A uh, great conversation. So again, thank you uh, to everyone listening. And I hope everyone had a great, we'll have a great 2022. And I don't mean 2020 T-O-O, 2020. Yeah. <laughs> Amen, brother. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. 
You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, proudly hosted by Austin Peterson and Landon Mance. Austin and Landon are comprehensive financial planning professionals specializing in financial, estate, and succession planning for small business owners. Austin and Landon have offices in Scottsdale, Arizona, and Las Vegas, Nevada, and represent clients in 14 states throughout the country. Join Austin, Landon, and the Featured Tycoons live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. right here on Business Radio X and your favorite podcast platform.